Hallelujah means praise the Lord, as some would say. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I say hallelujah, I'm telling you to praise him. You hear that? If I'm going to praise him, all I got to do is say praise you. Praise you, Father. That's me personally praising. Can you imagine you in a group and you say hallelujah and nobody respond? Why are you expecting a response from somebody? Because you're telling them to praise him and they won't. <laughs> See? We're communicating outward. Father is expecting us to communicate upward. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Yeshua's disciples followed him not fully understanding or knowing they had been recruited personally by him into the Kingdom of Heaven boot camp to be trained and prepared for kingdom warfare as kingdom citizens. For several months, they had followed Yeshua, listening to the messages he taught the masses. They saw firsthand the miraculous demonstrations of the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting through Yeshua. Now, they were about to be sent out to demonstrate what they had been trained and prepared for. Yeshua expressed his expectations and instructs his disciples to do warfare as they had been trained. Yeshua expects his disciples then and now to be prepared to exercise the training they received. The message title in this podcast is The Disciples Boot Camp, Part 1. So, let's study. So again, we're going to be discussing the Disciples Boot Camp, and this is part one. And what we're going to be looking at is in Matthew chapter 10 and a variety of other verses, and I really pray and hope that we all get the revelation today. I'm telling you, these teachings have really affected me on a very deep and personal level, and it is helping me get solid in myself and not necessarily allowing others to get into my spirit to disturb me. A question you have to ask yourself, I've asked myself, I know the answer for me. When I see the word disciple and I understand the process of discipleship as it was instituted by Messiah, and carried out by Paul and the others, and then looking at the process of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their religious daily activities, whether it be in the synagogue and the temple rituals that was taking place annually, and ask yourself the question, if you understand discipleship, have you ever been discipled and by whom? Have you ever been discipled And if so, by whom? Now, I spent my entire young life in the home of my parents going to church. I've gone to Sunday schools. I've gone to a variety of new members classes where I was taught the way things are done in that particular organization. But when it came down to someone taking me under their wings and spending 
the necessary time to help me understand this tool, this weapon of war, I had never been discipled. I could complain about that, but here's the truth of the matter. If the people who are teaching me hasn't been discipled, how are they going to disciple me? And so what we were taught was religion, denominational religion. And many of us believed with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul when we were committed to our walk in the various churches. Because here's what I know. If you weren't committed in your walk, you wouldn't be here today. You'd still be in church. (laughs) The fact that you are committed has caused you to make a transition that few people are willing to make. And so in recognizing the importance of discipleship and knowing that I had not ever been discipled, then what I was looking for, for me, didn't exist, so I had to create it. And that's why we spent what was supposed to be an eight-week period on creating a bona fide discipleship training that took two years to complete. This was a once a week course taught on Thursdays for an hour. Yeshua had his disciples 24-7, day in and day out. He observed them. He corrected them. He adjusted them as they needed adjustment. They were submitted and committed to the process. And they watched and observed him in everything he did. And in this particular chapter, he's going to send them out to see how well they paid attention, what they understood, and if they could actually imitate what they had experienced and watched him do and say. And so, as we jump into this, Yeshua's 12 disciples followed him. They didn't fully understand that they had been recruited. They didn't choose him now. If you know the process, He called them. They were in business. They were doing their work. He was walking along and he said, follow me. This is how the majority of the 12 came about. And so they didn't realize that they was being recruited for basic training and preparation for kingdom warfare as kingdom citizens. For several months, they had followed Yeshua. They listened to the messages he taught and preached. To them and to the masses, they saw firsthand the miraculous demonstrations of the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting through him. And now they were about to be sent out to demonstrate the spiritual warfare they had been trained and prepared for. They just didn't know it. Most of us don't know that we are being trained and prepared the way they were being trained and prepared. The thing is, is that what do you do with that which you've been trained and prepared for? If you don't know what it is you've been trained and prepared for, you'll do what you know. And what we know and have been trained and prepared for is to go to church. Even when we transition into the Messianic, the Hebrew roots, we go to service. We go to Sabbath. We go to the holy convocations, the annual feasts. But the seven day a week, the other six days of the week, We go about our business doing the things that we must do as we believe in order for us to exist, to survive, and to make a proper life for ourselves. Most of us never prayed about the job we work. Most of us never prayed about the business. Or let me put it this way. Many of us who are in employment, 
We're in employment because we need money. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest with it. Those of you who have associates, bachelors, masters, PhDs, you decided your career choice. You made the decision what you wanted to be. Because from a very early age, we were taught that with the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Most of us had our career choices, our desires, our ambitions, long before we came into any kind of relationship with the Most High. Many of us may have been brought up in church, but going to church and reading your Bible is a very different thing to having a relationship with the Almighty and listening to Him and following His voice and His instructions. Many of us were more committed to our organization, our denomination, our preachers, our pastors, and those who trained and taught us more so than we were in the one who saved us. Many have never heard his voice, don't know what he sound like. And when we come into certain situations, for the most part, we refer to him as something told me. I should have listened to my first mind. Well, how many minds you got? These are the kinds of things that we experience. And like myself, me personally, when I reflect back, I can remember when I first began to hear his voice, but didn't recognize it was him. And the reason why I think I didn't recognize it was him is because I had not been trained to listen for him. Yeshua expresses his expectations and instructs the disciples to do warfare as they were trained in basic training or boot camp. And Yeshua expects his disciples then and now to be prepared to exercise the training they and us received. In essence, boot camp is basic training. Basic training is discipleship. Now, if you've never been discipled, own up to it. I know that the people that I grew up with, the people that I went to church with, I've been in leadership in several denominations. And in none of the denominations that I was in leadership, were there anything close to discipleship? Not in the church. If you wanted any form of discipleship, you had to go to seminary. That's where discipleship was done. And in seminary, discipleship was done in order to train a person how to operate in that denomination that the seminary was established on. It trained leaders to go into its churches to teach its people, not in the kingdom, but in the organization, in the denomination, with a set of structures and rules, bylaws, and government that these leaders had to attain to and sign annual contracts not to deviate from the denominational doctrine in which they had been trained. Verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse 2, Now notice, in verse 2 you have the word apostles, and in verse 1, you have the word disciples, because there's something going on here that reveals itself within the context of this passage that it's important to pay attention. And remember, in discipleship, we talked about the context principle. 
Most people don't have an idea of what a context is. And that's unfortunate because in churches, we haven't been taught context. We've been taught sermons. We've been taught how to build topical conversations of cutting verses out of one area, mixing it with other verses to create a sermon and to establish some form of doctrinal denominational mindset. Say, I can't take what father said to, to such and such and then take what father said to somebody else and connect it unless father told them the same thing. So if I'm going to take something, if you don't know the order, do you know your Bible is not in a chronological order? Do you know that? In fact, the order of the Bible got people who existed hundreds of years earlier behind people who existed after them. When you look at some of these passages, <laughs> if you don't know when they were written, then you can't put them in the proper order. And so you got prophets who prophesied after in the order in which they are done and people who are learning things from a particular section of the book, not realizing that this occurred back then. Here, the 12 apostles are these, the first, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, here's what happens in this verse, in this transition. Yeshua called unto his disciples. Who did he give power to? His disciples. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Are they apostles here? And so what's going to happen in this passage is Messiah is going to give them some instructions for current, and he's going to give them some instructions for future. He's going to share with them about what they're going to experience in the current expedition that they're sending them out to as disciples and what they are going to expect or should expect when they become apostles, which would occur after he's gone. So the first, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, Peter, get this, and here's a good example. Does Peter's writings come before or after Paul? I'm here before and I'm here and after. All you got to do is look at the table of content in your Bible. First John, Peter, James, they all come after Paul's writings. Were they with Messiah? Yep. Was Paul? No. So the name of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebaeus, those whose surname was Thaddeus, or Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, Simon was the first, as it says here, who's called Peter. And what is happening here is that Simon now, who walked with the Messiah, when he took on his ministry as Peter, he understood the whole idea of what it meant to be a nation, not a Jewish nation, not the nation of Israel, but a kingdom nation. You see, whatever your ethnicity is, whatever your genealogy is, whatever your background is, Father called you out of that and placed you into a nation that was established by him. Therefore, you have dual citizenship just by virtue of being born and born again. 
When you are born, you're born into a nation. When you are born again, you are reborn into a new nation. And that's not the nation of Israel. That's not the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of Jehovah, a commonwealth that also involves Israel, but is not exclusive. Yeshua had hundreds of disciples when he called these over the course of his earthly ministry in human form. He called his disciples among those who came to hear Yeshua was a group who regularly followed him and were committed to his teachings. At least at this time, at least there were 82 disciples when he sent out the 12. Let me tell you what happens with most of us, because when Yeshua says disciples versus apostles, most people see the apostles as the disciples. Most people think that Yeshua only had 12 disciples. When the fact of the matter is, by the time he sends out the 12, he's got at least 82, because later on he's going to send 70 others. And that is in Luke 10. If you look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 17, you'll see there's 70 in some versions, it's 72. And then in Acts, you'll see there's 120. This is shortly after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And then Paul tells us that after Yeshua's resurrection, after his resurrection, before he ascended, he showed himself to above 500. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above, of more than 500. So before Yeshua ascended, there was over 500 disciples. Now, we see the twelve because we know them by name. We don't know the name of the 72. We make assumptions even when the 12 comes and watch him ascend that it was only them. When the fact is, is that what had happened to Judas? He was dead. And so the thing is, is that in our heads, brothers and sisters, we got to untwist information because we got twisted information that is causing us to look at the scriptures twisted. That's the outcome. We got twisted doctrines. You know, when I say hallelujah, what am I saying? Who am I saying it to? Hallelujah means praise the Lord, as some would say. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I say hallelujah, I'm telling you to praise him. You hear that? If I'm going to praise him, all I got to do is say praise you. Praise you, Father. That's me personally praising. Can you imagine you in a group and you say hallelujah and nobody responds? Why are you expecting a response from somebody? Because you're telling them to praise him, and they won't. <laughs> We're communicating outward. Father is expecting us to communicate upward. And here's, here's where music and service, you see, music and service is communicated outward. Very few, very limited music is directed upward. Think about it. Okay, we're going to do praise and worship now. Y'all stand up. Okay, clap your hands. Okay, sing this with me. Who am I talking to while I'm praising him? I'm trying to get you to lift him up. Imagine the praise and worship team come and they just start singing. It's like you ain't even there. It's a little weird, isn't it? Some of you all, when they tell you to stand up, you don't want to stand up. Tell you to clap, you don't want to clap. Why are you telling me to clap? Who are you talking to while you praising? 
You see, we got some twisted thinking, brothers and sisters. Some of y'all think I got a problem with music. I don't have a problem with music. I understand what's going on. I see what's going on. You're being entertained, for the most part, with some kind of response expected by those who are entertaining you. It's no different than you going to a, a concert. Who are you clapping for? You clap oftentimes because they've done a good performance that they have spent hours rehearsing to try to please you and to make you think, okay, this is good. Too many praise and worship leaders, how do we do? How do we do? How do we, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Did you make a joyful noise unto him? Who were you trying to minister to? Because if, if you're ministering to him in the right spirit with all of your heart, then it's acceptable. But if you think about it, brothers and sisters, most of that stuff that happens on stage is directed toward you, not to him. Maybe until you get in the worship part. And worship means to bow. How often do you see praise and worship with the worshipers bowing? Why? Because they don't understand worship. Not a biblical worship. And here's one of the challenges that we have, brothers and sisters. There are things that are done in church that seems biblical that is not according to the biblical definition of what is being done. How can you do something that you consider to be biblical but is not according to the definition the Bible gives it? If worship means to bow down, then when you worship, you do what? You bow down. Don't say I bow down and don't bow down. Remember them songs, go, we bow down. You bowed? Hello? Now, I know we got some worshipers in here. I ain't trying to mess with you, but I'm really trying to help us get on the same page as the book and get off the page of the church. You see, the church page and the book page ain't always the same page. And if we want to end up in the place that the book says, then we need to do what the book says, how the book says it, and that's the purpose of discipleship. This is why Yeshua came and told his disciples, follow me, follow me. Luke says, if any man come after him, they got to do what? Deny themselves. See, you can't follow him if you're not willing to deny yourself. You just can't do it. Otherwise, you'd be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything. And yet you got a lot of double-minded people asking father and then wondering why they ain't receiving it. Verse 7. So Paul says, after that, I was, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So after sending the 12, he sent 70 others, according to Luke 10, 1. All of Yeshua's disciples had basic training, folks. The 12 were recruited, handpicked by Yeshua and sanctioned by Yehovah. Now, here's something. Here's where most people who come to church, there's two gospel records they're going to see, Matthew and John. That's the main two, Matthew and John. Luke is usually used whenever Christmas comes around. That's when people go to Luke. But Matthew and John is what most people's doctrine is built upon. And Luke, Luke reveals something to us. Luke is going to reveal to us some things, and here Yeshua is speaking to his current disciples and future apostles in both instructions for the present and future. 
I want to point this out because in Luke chapter 6, it's going to show us how he selected them. The word apostle is apostolos, and its usage for the most part is an apostle. And the reason why I'm pointing this out, because he's going to send the disciples. There are many people who they simply focus on on the sent one. And if, if you're sent, then that makes you an apostle. When the fact of the matter is, is there's two different words and definitions. Peter understood from his training what Yeshua was preparing the disciples who would become apostles. And as apostles sent one after boot camp, Peter wrote, and here's who Peter wrote to. Now, Peter wrote to those who had been scattered. Notice this, First Peter. Peter, an apostle of Yeshua, Messiah, to the strangers scattered. Where? Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, notice, in, if you followed us through Acts, in chapter Acts of 8, the disciples were scattered. These were the ones who had come into the relationship and knowledge of Messiah. And after Stephen was stoned, the Bible says a great persecution a persecution came against who? The believers. By who? By the Jews. You see, the ones who persecuted the followers of Messiah were the ones who already had established religion. The people who persecute you, the world ain't, ain't persecuting you. The world is not telling you you've fallen from grace. It's the people who believe they got grace. The saints of the Most High, the followers of Yeshua, and this is why last week we talked about Yeshua didn't come to build on the foundation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He came to establish a totally true new religion, something that had never been existed before. And the ones who fought that was the ones who had established religion. These were the ones who ran the temple. These were the ones who ran the synagogues. The body of Messiah is a scattered nation. Where are some of you all coming from? Just, just shout out so it'll reach the mic. Michigan, Minnesota, Texas, Florida, Jersey, Arizona. And there are folks joining in with us from all over. Why? Because we're scattered. And so Paul, Peter here, is to the strangers scattered. He's saying, listen, the body of Messiah is scattered, yet it's a nation. Watch this. The word scattered is diaspora. Most folks, they understand the diaspora as, as far as Jews are concerned. You can listen to any nation, any prime minister in any nation, and one that is big because I was watching how China has become this powerhouse you know how China has all of a sudden become a powerhouse? Because they have Chinese citizens in all the nations establishing businesses and sending money back to China, African nations. You'll find that when someone comes from a country, what happens? It's amazing how many will end up in one location because when the first come, what do they do? They tell the others, hey, here's where we are. And next thing you know, you've got a community of people who are working, providing, and then sending for their family members to come and sending money back to their country. Am I right, Kingsley? It's the way it works. So it doesn't matter what nation you come from. What happens is that every nation has a diaspora. 
These are the people who have gone and they now are accumulating wealth and sending it back. And many times they're being used by the government. And in some cases, they're agents and spies. Their focus is not the nation they live in, but the motherland. That's where their commitment is. And when we come into the body, our focus should be the motherland. What's the motherland? It's not the land you came from. It's the kingdom. And when you embrace the fact you are a kingdom citizen, then you can fit into what Peter is writing about. Elect according to the foreknowledge of the Almighty. See, the Almighty knew what he had in mind before he sent Messiah. He sent Messiah to a people who had rejected him and thus rejected his son. The way you know a person loves the father is how he treats his family. You know you love Jehovah if you love the brethren. We become part of a new family. And this is hard for many of us to comprehend because we're connected to blood, except we're connected to the wrong blood. You cry that stuff covered by the blood, but yet blood is thicker than water. What blood you talking about? You're not talking about the blood that covers you. So we're confused and twisted, except we don't know we're twisted and confused. And Father has called me to unconfuse the confused. But see, here's the thing. People fight and defend their confusion. So he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of Elohim the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua Messiah. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the Elohim and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, born again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead. But you are who? Those who are scattered. Those who are chosen, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? Because you ain't sent to fit in. You ain't sent to blend in. You're sent to change. But you can't change unless you allow the change. That's why we're going to be talking about renewing the mind that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know how you show praises? Your lifestyle. It's not what you say. It's how you live. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of Elohim, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your, excuse me, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify Elohim in the day of visitation. Back to verse 5. These twelve Yeshua sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into the city, any city of the Samaritans, into you not. So, here... Yeshua is not sending them out as apostles. He's sending them out as disciples. This word sent is, it's like apostolos, but it's apostello, which means to go as appointed, to be sent, to send forth, to send out. If, if, if I send you out to downtown Charlotte to stand in the street and to declare the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you have been sent out. That doesn't make you an apostle, even though you may have the message 
that is connecting people to the kingdom. Are you seeing this? The first mention of this Greek word is found in Matthew 2, 16. The same word is used in Luke 9, when Yeshua sends out the 70. And then Yeshua sends them out as, a, as disciples, according to verse 6. Now notice this, because this is a strange statement. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now notice what he says, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Anytime you hear, this is how religion has trained us, Anytime you hear lost in Israel, you think of what? The lost tribes. Can I tell you something? All of Israel was lost. Why? You know how I know? Because of who Yeshua sent them to. They were all lost. They all rejected the, the creator. They had developed their own religion. And they were ready to put to death the representative whom they claim to belong to. Yeshua came to his own. Who was his own? If you look at it from the perspective that he was from the tribe of Judah, you see, it was Judah and Levi who controlled the synagogues and the temple. Most of the people that he ministered to was part of the Pharisees, disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of John. Both the 12 and 70 were given the message of the kingdom of heaven is at hand to preach. The kingdom would come when Yeshua would come to them and they experience and receive his true gospel, which would establish the new true religion. Verse seven, he says, and as you go, here's the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's all about the kingdom, brothers and sisters. It's not about house of Israel. This is why I preach at y'all so hard sometimes. This is why I preach at you knowing that some of y'all going to get mad. I know some of you ain't going to like what I, what I have to say don't matter to me because I ain't scared of you. I really ain't. People have come and people have went. The thing that I'm happy for the most part is that most who leave continue in the word because I know that some of you are here for a temporary assignment. I know that. There are things that father want you to have that he's going to send you to me to give you because some folks don't have the kahunas to tell you what you need to know. Because they're scared of you. They're more concerned about what's in your pocket than what's in your head. Upset people don't give good. They don't. You got to manipulate the people out the money. You do. You got to make them feel good. You got to entertain them. You really do. Because you're a lot more able to reach in that wallet. As a matter of fact, the more you enjoy the service, the better your giving gets. Uh, we could get some lines going on up in here. $100 lines, $500 lines. Oh, man, I'm telling you, just, just, just tickle your ear to the point to where, man, you just come and pour out your whole pocketbook. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he says, as you go, now understand something, brothers and sisters, what is taking place here in this chapter is long before these brothers received the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is given in Acts chapter number two. Think about this. The only person who had been filled with the Holy Spirit at this particular point that we know of that is recorded in the scriptures is Yeshua. He'd been baptized by John. John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Elizabeth, his mother, and Zacharias, his father, were filled with the Holy Ghost. So you had John the Baptist family and Yeshua filled with the Holy Spirit. 
many of the disciples don't get the Holy Spirit until after Yeshua comes and he breathed on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. The rest of them on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, when the day of Pentecost is fully come and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But here, notice what he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Who had been doing this work before Yeshua? Nobody. And now Yeshua comes and give them the ability by his authority to do what he has been done before they receive the Holy Spirit in the sense of the day of Pentecost, or he breathed upon them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. They're operating simply based on the word. We will not effectively operate in the supernatural authority of the Holy Spirit until we start walking in the truth of the word. The sick, the leper, the dead, according to Torah, could render the disciples unclean unless they were healed and no longer sick, leprous or dead. If you come into the contact of a dead body, you're unclean. If you come into the, in contact with somebody who's leprous, you're unclean. If you come into contact with someone who has an issue of blood or some form of discharge or uncleanness, you come in contact with them, you become unclean. But Yeshua is sending them to these unclean people with authority. Not to mingle with them, heal them. Because once they're healed, once they're cleansed, once they're raised, they're no longer unclean. And folks today become more concerned about being unclean or becoming unclean than walking in the authority that they've been given. I remember my, one of the struggles I had when I was in Kenya, and it wasn't a concern about being unclean. It was a concern about contracting AIDS. A woman came to our service there, and she had AIDS, and I didn't know it. And I'm glad I didn't because the fears that I had of contacting AIDS and knowing, you know, you're laying hands on somebody who got AIDS, you know, I had to struggle in my mind. Would I have laid hands on that woman if I'd known she had AIDS? But she didn't have AIDS when the service was over. But, but hallelujah. But I had to wrestle. I knew I would have wrestled before because I wrestled after the fact. When I found out that woman had AIDS, part of me rejoiced, but not all of me. I'm just being real because, you know, it's like, do I need to get checked? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that our, our minds mess with us, brothers and sisters. There are people now, they're more concerned about becoming unclean and not being able to come to Passover. You see, they want to do Passover, so they want to avoid all kinds of uncleanness. And I understand that and I respect that. But can I tell you that's not walking in authority? Because if you come across uncleanness, clean it up. That's the mandate. We've got the authority to do that. Even more so if somebody wants to be healed. Because if they don't want it, it doesn't matter how much you preach to them, talk to them, try to, try to commit, get them to commit. It would require one to know and exercise the authority and faith they had been given to even come in contact with people in those categories of uncleanness. At the time, only the priests could come in contact with, uh, for the purpose of examining leprous people without becoming unclean. See, the priests could come in contact with somebody who had leprosy to see if they still had it. But it doesn't render the priest unclean. Why is that? 
because of the authority they walked in. The disciples, see, in order for them to examine somebody who was unclean, they had to follow the instructions that had been given to them concerning the lepry, leprous. It's authority. The Torah is the authority of the Most High for the saints in the, in the kingdom, the citizens of the Most High. It's not the only authority. The power of the Holy Spirit and walking in the truth of the Torah, keeping the commandments of Yehovah and faith in Yeshua. The only way the Holy Spirit can come into the life of a person is through faith in Yeshua. Anybody who rejects Yeshua doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can communicate. The Holy Spirit can speak. But most people won't recognize the voice. It'll be something told me. At the time of the disciples being sent, now notice this is really where I need you to focus on. Because from Matthew chapter 4 all the way up to Matthew chapter 10, Yeshua has selected these disciples. They were following him. And they got to witness all of the things that were taking place prior to them coming to this point. And here's some of them. They had witnessed Yeshua heal all manner of sickness, diseases, and demon possessed. We witnessed that from reading it. They had heard the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. We went through it. They had been told they were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We claim to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They had heard several kingdom messages. You look at Matthew chapter 7 all the way up to, actually starting in Matthew chapter 5, because with the Beatitudes, what is Yeshua doing? Yeshua is teaching on the kingdom as it relates to a variety of areas of life, of our life. And some of them are listed here. They had been taught how to pray. The gospel of the kingdom incorporates prayer and training in prayer. They had been taught how to fast. That's a kingdom gospel message, showing them how to fast and what not to do when they fast, what to do when they fast. They have been taught not to worry and how to seek the kingdom of Jehovah and his righteousness. They've been taught these things. They have been taught how to judge righteously. Take the mote out your own eye. Take the beam out your own eye so you can see clearly. They have been taught how to ask, how to seek, and how to knock. All of this was part of their training. Everything they witnessed and everything Yeshua taught and everything they saw was all part of their training because he's going to get them to the point to where, okay, now you go do that. You go do what you just saw. You go do what you just witnessed. You go and live like I just taught you how to live. They have been warned of false prophets and how to recognize them. Most people can't recognize a false prophet, and many people have been deceived by the same false prophets over and over and over again, because you don't recognize them. If a person says, thus said Jehovah, and Jehovah has not said it, and it don't come to pass, in fact, what they say, there's been more false prophets risen in the last, during the election cycle. And when they missed it, they now make excuses. Some of them went out and apologized. They say, you know, I, I said God said, and I was wrong. But that don't mean I'm a false prophet, really? That's the definition of a false prophet. You said God said, and he didn't. Oh, brother, now don't judge. Don't judge. So don't listen to what Yeshua said. If he says, beware of false prophets, and I recognize a false prophet, 
and I don't judge that false prophet as a false prophet because I can't judge, then I think that makes me a fool. I'm not calling nobody nothing. I'm just saying, I think that make me a fool. They had witnessed and heard Yeshua's declaration about the faith of the centurion. See, the, the great thing about the centurion, he said, listen, you don't have to come to my house, just speak the word, because I'm a man under authority. See, if you ain't under authority, you won't recognize authority. And you got a whole lot of hard-headed, stiff-necked folks walking around here in their own authority. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, see, when you look at how the disciples responded to Yeshua, the people who claimed to have authority didn't respond to him like that. In fact, they wanted to take him out. See, whenever a saint want to take you out, let me tell you something. That ain't no saint. Maybe a Catholic saint. Maybe been sanctified by the church. But it's no saint of Jehovah. They had witnessed the healing of Peter's mother-in-law and many more healings and deliverances. They had been informed of the cost that was required for them to follow. They had witnessed Yeshua's authority over the elements when he was in the boat and he calmed the storm. What manner of man is this? They said. Even the elements listened to him. How many of you know the elements will listen to you if you got the faith? You can redirect the storm. You can tell the tornado to go the other way. Don't come here. You could send the hurricanes back to the ocean. In fact, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. But it requires a faith. You got to first be committed and convinced that this is something you got the authority to do. And most folks don't believe they've got that authority because they've been churchified. See, the church teach you to be an unbelieving believer. Oh, I believe in God, but I ain't Jesus. They put limitations and restrictions on your anointing. In fact, you don't even have an anointing because they can talk about you just don't touch God's anointing. Do his prophets no harm. You mean them lying ones? See, any prophet who prophesies and say you don't have to keep the Torah is a liar. They is a lying prophet just even if they prophesy and it come to pass. They had witnessed the deliverance of the man who had over 5,000 demons and had those demons cast into swine and the swine ran into the sea. They saw that. They saw Yeshua's confrontation with the scribes and heard what he thought about the Pharisees who accused him of casting out demons by the prince of the devils. There's people who will accuse you of using demonic power. It's like, really? You think the devil actually want to heal somebody? I've been taught he come to steal, kill, and to destroy, not to heal. See, he's trying to talk to us now. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. That's that serious spirit. They had witnessed the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. They had witnessed the two blind men healed. Remember, we looked at last week, he told them, don't go and tell nobody. Did they obey him? No. If he tell you don't do something and you go and do what he told you not to do and then you try to justify your doing it, they knew the harvest was plentiful. The laborers were few and that they were being sent into a plentiful harvest to reap the souls that would receive them and to cast the dust off their feet of those who would not. The disciples had been taught and tested. They had witnessed the master at work and now they were being sent out to put into practice what they had learned and given the authority by Messiah to do what they had been instructed, just as we have. The disciples had to totally rely on the provisions of Jehovah. 
the generosity of those who received them and the message they had been given. In verse 9, Matthew 10 says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. So they went with no money, no food sacks, no extra garments, no extra shoes, and no staff. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. Now here's where it gets really, really rough. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, this is some, this is some powerful stuff. But some people interpret this, and these, these may not even be religious people, is that if you get invited to some place, you go and you bear gift. If somebody invites you for dinner, you show up at dinner with whatever you bring, whether it be something to drink or some dessert or, or something, you go and you present a gift to the house. If you're going in there to minister, see, here's the thing. When Peter and Paul and James, and they say, the peace of the Almighty be upon you, you may say shalom, but the fact is, is that when you go into a house, he's saying, first of all, you salute, you greet, and then you release your peace. You want to release your peace because your peace being upon that house is going to protect you while you're in that house, especially if there's hostilities in there. And the hostilities will manifest itself on whether or not it receives what you have to say. If you came with a message with the instructions that you have been sent to carry and they don't receive what you have given, then you call your peace to return and you shake the dust. This is what he's instructing them. I didn't write it. He says that when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Some of y'all don't even know you can release your peace. Well, how do you do that, brother? Well, the way I understand it is you greet, you salute, and then you just speak your peace over that house. It doesn't have to be verbal. But if you don't realize you got a peace, you won't do it. How many of you have ever done it? You go into homes. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you know, when I go out, especially in missions, it's a practice that I've done every time. I go on mission fields or to minister to someone in their homes. When I enter, I release my peace. I salute the people. I release my peace. I observe the environment. I share what Father is giving me. If there's reservation or rejection, no problem. If you don't recognize the authority you have, you will never walk in the authority you've been given. Why? Because you don't recognize it. And it's important for us to recognize it. So when Yeshua is giving these instructions, he's not sending them. He realized, listen, you're surrounded by wolves. Everybody who has not received this message could cause you harm, whether it be verbal or whether it be physical, because wolves devour. When you come into a conversation and folks want to argue with you, if they want to argue with you, they're not in a position to receive from you. They want to fight and dispute what you got to say. Why are you still sitting there? He says, listen, cause your peace to come back. If they receive the message I've given them, I allow my peace to remain. And then I pray a blessing on that house. There are people who will tell you, you know, in fact, in the prayer, Father, I release my peace to remain 
in this home and upon the inhabitants of this home. Because if I go into a place and they receive what I've got to say, don't think for a moment I'm going to leave there without praying over it because I want his peace to remain there. I want the word, the seed that has been planted to take root and to grow. Because let me tell you some brothers and sisters, everything we do is spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. The moment you, you will stop doing spiritual things is when your spirit is gone. Because you are a spirit. Your words are spirit. Your words have power. Your words can harm. Your words can hurt. Your words can heal. Your words are like the sword. And if you don't understand the power of your word, then you don't understand your power. You could speak those things that are not. How do you think the elements is going to obey you without you speaking to it? How do you think the mountain is going to go into the sea unless you tell it to? How's them spirits going to leave unless you tell them to get out? How's that person going to be healed unless you say, be healed? You have to walk in that authority. You have to believe. And if you're dealing with unbelief, then you got to work with that. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, here's what he says. Shake off the dust of your feet. Now, shaking the dust off your feet is a sign of repudiation for their rejection of Jehovah's message and a gesture showing separation from everything associated with the house, the place, and the people. Because, see, if they reject you and you are his ambassador, it's not you that they're rejecting because you didn't come with your own message. They reject him. The people, when they, when they murmured against Moses, Father said, Moses, they, they murmuring against you, but in actuality, it's me they're murmuring against. Because Moses, Moses was simply doing what he had been instructed to do. This was done twice by Paul, both times to Jews who rejected him in the teachings he taught. First in Antioch and Pisidia. Now there's Antioch in Syria and Antioch in Pisidia. Pisidia was Asia Minor. Paul's base was Antioch in Syria. That was his home congregation. In Antioch in Pisidia, he's in Asia Minor, Acts 13, 51. And the next Sabbath day, the first Sabbath they preach, where? In the synagogue. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of Elohim. Why? Because Paul's message had resonated. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, when they saw those people, now they didn't have a problem the week before. So I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes you, you, you think, well, you know, that person don't have any influence. That person don't have any power. But the moment you see that that person is a person of influence, now all of a sudden you want to come against them. That's what people do because they're trying to preserve the, their own way. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, got to get bold with some of these folks, and said, it was necessary that the word of Elohim should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it away from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath Jehovah commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and many were ordained to eternal life. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all that region. And then the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women 
and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. And what did Paul do? He shook the dust off their feet. He shook the dust off their feet. I'm showing you this to show you that shaking the dust was not only communicated, but it was actually done. And we better learn how to do it. Because let me tell you something. If you don't learn how to shake the dust off your feet, the devil is going to wear you out with the person who you should have shook the dust off and, and kept it moving. It'll wear you out. That's his job, to wear out the saints. What do we do? You put a hard-headed, stiff-necked, argumentative, opinionated person in your environment and just want to keep you running around in circles. The moment you corner them, they change the subject. You corner them over there, they got another subject. They just keep running around playing Russian roulette. <laughs> and here you are running around chasing them. It's like, you know what? This is not the person for me to be spinning because what is happening? You're casting your pearl among swine. You're sowing seed in what is evidently hard, rocky, thorny ground. It will not bear fruit. What are you looking for? Good ground. What is good ground? That ground that, that is going to receive what you got to say. Because they see value in what you're speaking. Anyone who does not recognize the value you bring, don't deserve to be in your company. If you're letting them stay in your company, you got a problem. You may have some self-conscious psychological issues going on. Maybe you need to get checked out. I'll check you out. Better learn how to shake the dust. And don't let people bog you down, because by the time you finish with them hard-headed jokers, you wore out. And you got all these people running around you who now you ain't got no energy. And then secondly, in Corinth, and I'm almost done. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrote and wrought. For by their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come, from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Yeshua was Messiah. Now notice, in another version, it says he exclusively ministered to the Jews. Now I say that particularly because most will say, well, wait a minute, Paul was sent to the who? He was the apostle to who? So why is he ministering to the Jews? You follow me? Paul ministered to whoever he had came in contact with. In fact, he wrote to the Jews first. Every time he went into a city, if there was a synagogue, where did he go first? He went first to the synagogue, first to the Jew. But wait a minute, wasn't he sent to the Gentiles? Why is he ministering to the Jews everywhere you go? See, Paul's focus was the gospel of the kingdom, not the ethnicity of the person. You get me? And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment. When they opposed himself and blasphemed, he took off his tunic and shook it just like he would shake the dust. I don't even want your, your coronavirus mist on my jacket. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? No, no, no. I'm not leaving here with no virus. Just shook it off. Hallelujah. And said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Verse 15, 
Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So Yeshua is saying, listen, when you go into those places and they receive you, fine. If they don't, shake the dust. And it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's a, that's a, a catch-22 because Solomon and Gomorrah was burned, destroyed. How is it going to be more tolerable if they were burned to a crisp? Because see, here's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Jehovah rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire. What's more tolerable than that? From the Lord out of heaven, he overthrew their cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew up on the ground. If that city rejects you, don't worry about it. I got it. Now, when you look at what he's saying at this particular point, because the whole point of these teachings is to get you into the mindset of discipleship, recognizing your authority, walking in that authority and power. And it is my prayer that before our time together here is over, that you're going to have a better understanding of what that really means and begin to walk in it. But I'm going to tell you right now, in order for you to, to do it, you're going to have to deal with yourself. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's, it's not your significant other. It's not your children. It's not your parents. It's you. And I've had to recognize, because I'm going to tell you something, people around you can frustrate you. Why are people around, around you frustrating you? How is it that people can frustrate you unless you are frustratable? If you are frustratable, you got some issues because you don't have control over you. You've given somebody else authority in your life and they get in your spirit and mess with you and cause you to begin to act and behave frustrated. Where's your peace? What happened to your peace? You've been usurped. You've been brought under. You've come under a spirit. You can call it the spirit of frustration if you want to. Don't matter what you call it. But just recognize when you allow your peace to go. And guess what? When you allow your peace to go in those situations, you're not sending your peace out for the purpose of bringing peace. Your peace have been ripped off. And now you're in another spirit. <laughs> And we got our brothers, and, 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 and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and, and I'm done with this. Um, part of the gifts and fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, self-control. Well, how do you know you got the Holy Spirit? <laughs> that fruit will manifest. And guess what? The more you begin to exercise self-control, the less people can get in your spirit. The less people that can get in your spirit the more in tune and aware you are of Him. The more you're in tune and aware of Him, the better you're able to minister because frustrated people frustrate people. Hurting people hurt people. Wounded people wound. And you have to know when you're in the company of a hurt, frustrated, wounded person. Because if you don't, guess what? They'll hurt, frustrate, and wound you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. 
You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>